Well, as you heard me last week say something about the chaos that that uh, sort of is my life as I'm trying to finish this schoolwork, uh, you can just take all that I said last week and just put it on this week as well, okay? If you want to know what I said last week, then just ask me later. Uh, I feel like I need to apologize to so many people for uh, just like falling down on, on the job, honestly, because my attention is so devoted to school at this point. But I do appreciate people uh, like Kyle, obviously Pastor Kyle. Uh, last night uh, we got together, he put all that together, a cookout. We got together, played some volleyball. Kids played with some water balloons and whatnot. We had some, uh, some smoked pork. And um, thank you that, for that, Adam. And uh, one thing that I learned last night is that none of us who played volleyball will be signing up for the Olympics in three years. We're a long way from that. Long way. It was still fun, though. We had a good time. I do want to uh, turn our attention now to Jeremiah 34. And I may need your help getting through this text today. Jeremiah uh, 34. We're going to read the first seven verses And then, really, the sermon will take place more in the following verses, and we'll read those as the time comes. Before we get into 34, I want to be clear that we're sort of turning into a new section where the the good news that we were hearing about these past few chapters is not not necessarily uh, the topic in the chapters moving forward. Uh, Chapter 34 and 35 are set sort of in opposition to one another, 34 shows us where these faithless people made commitments that they had little intention of keeping. And then 35 shows us the people who uh, just took the advice, took the the guidance of their uh, elders, and they followed through with it, and they're honored for it. So two weeks from today, we'll get chapter 35. Today, we're going to talk just from chapter 34. So if you want to follow along with me, uh, I don't even know if I put it up there, uh, but Jeremiah 34, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, and all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, and all the peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and all of its cities. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and say to him, thus says the Lord, behold, I am giving the city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. You shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be captured and delivered into his hand. You shall see the king of Babylon eye to eye and speak with him face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword, you shall die in peace. And as spices were burned for your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so people shall burn spices for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have spoken the word, declares the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah, in Jerusalem, when the army of the king of Babylon was fighting against Jerusalem and against all the cities of Judah that were left, Lachish and Azekah, for these were the only fortified cities of Judah that remained. 
Let's pray once more. Father, help us to understand your word clearly. Uh, We delight in your word today in every part of it. We pray, Father, that uh, in the ways that the Holy Spirit would be pleased to uh, show us our missteps, show us our disobedience, show us our lack of faith. Father, we pray that the Spirit likewise would show us Christ, meet us with what we need more deeply than anything else. Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title this morning is A Covenant of Convenience. A Covenant of Convenience. In these first verses, we see Zedekiah, who, as we're about to read, is leading the people to do things that really ultimately don't mean anything at all in terms of their salvation or God and relating to God in a better way or repenting truly. But right here, we see a statement made about Zedekiah that I'm just going to mention here because we're going to come back to this in chapter 38. It seems like this is sort of a promise uh, with a condition. There's an expectation that Zedekiah is going to respond positively. We don't ultimately know exactly what happened to him. uh, And I think that shows us that uh, he was not honored (laughs) in his death. He was not looked upon as somebody who was a an honorable king or good leader. Um, in fact, the commentaries, they just say he died peacefully, probably, but he probably just died while he was in the captivity in Babylon. What's interesting here, I think, to note is there, uh, there is a very clear statement about this eye-to-eye and face-to-face. You are going to stand, he says, and look this guy in the eye, And he is going to look you in your eyes, Zedekiah. He is going to speak, literally speak to your mouth with his mouth. So you get the idea. He is not going to escape what God has planned as far as judgment for the people of Judah in their disobedience. And again, we're going to revisit that in a few weeks. A lot of this text deals with what I think is, is so common among us today as we move forward in it, um, I think we see a lot of uh, religion that looks good on the outside and we celebrate it and we praise it all the while knowing whether it's us or somebody else, uh, what's often the case is there is no meaningful change in relationship with God. This is sort of the main theme. This is how I'm saying it in our theme. Convenient obedience mocks God's covenant faithfulness. Convenient obedience mocks God's covenant faithfulness. And I hope this becomes clear as we move forward. I want to read verses 8 through 16, and we'll, we'll try to unpack those. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant, or literally cut a covenant. He cut a covenant. With all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them, that everyone should set free his Hebrew slaves, male and female, so that no one should enslave a Jew, his brother. And they obeyed. All the officials, all the people who had entered into the covenant, that everyone would set free his slave, male or female, so that they would not be enslaved again. 
They obeyed and set them free. Verse 11. But afterward, they turned around and took back the male and female slaves that they had set free and brought them into subjection as slaves. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I myself made a covenant with your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, saying, at the end of seven years, each of you must set free the fellow Hebrew who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You must set him free from your service. But your fathers did not listen to me or incline their ears to me. You recently repented and did what was right in my eyes by proclaiming liberty, each to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house that is called by my name. But then you turned around and profaned my name when each of you took back his male and female slaves, whom you had set free according to their desire, and you brought them into subjection to be your slaves. And before we start to unpack our uh, points of application from this text, I want to give you a little bit of background here, an explanation of slavery as we're reading here according to the Mosaic Law. It's not what we understand to be slavery in our society or in our history as the United States of America. Hopefully, you know that there is a bit of a difference here. Deuteronomy chapter 15 we see the prescription. It's actually good for the economy of the people of Israel when people are in debt and they can't repay their, their debts. They would either go themselves into uh, this bond servant status or they would send their children or other members of the family, maybe a wife, into bond servant status to pay off the debt that they had. And at the end of that six years of payment, the slave would be set free. So every seventh year, there would be freedom proclaimed. But here's what Deuteronomy 15, verses 12 through 15 says, so that you hear it from the word of God. If your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. In the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, here's, here's a key part of this. This is how this is redemptive in their society. You shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. So you understand this practice. This is absolutely normal, absolutely uh, acceptable among the people of God. And so you would think that what's happening here under Zedekiah's leadership, hey, this is a good thing. Look at what they're doing. They're proclaiming liberty to these people who were enslaved, who were bond servants. And you, what you need to know here is that as he talked about the forefathers, he says, just like they did, you have done this. You did not honor what I told you to do. You could understand how Hey, if you got somebody working for you in your house, then it is not convenient for you after six years of labor at what amounts to about half the price of a, of a, a servant. After six years of labor, you, you might be uh, not so inclined to let them go free. And especially when your religion has become just a show and it doesn't actually impact your life. You start to think, well, I really need this guy to stick around. I really need them to help me out some more. We use all of 
man's reasons to compromise God's word and do what we want anyway. So they kept the slaves, the bond servants around, and God was not pleased with them. This had been going on for generations. But it looks hopeful, doesn't it? Yeah, Zedekiah finally proclaiming liberty for these captives. And that's what brings us to our first point, and really the subpoints are our points today. When obedience is a matter of convenience. When obedience is a matter of convenience. We're going to finish that sentence. Obedience right here was a matter of convenience because here's why. <laughs> here's why Zedekiah was setting them free. When you're under siege, you got the kingdom of Babylon, and as the text tells us, all the kingdoms who are under the dominion of Nebuchadnezzar, they are attacking you. You're under siege. Do you really want some extra mouths to feed? There's not a whole lot to do. They're not letting you go out and harvest. Everything is being destroyed. Everything is being trampled underfoot. Do you really want those extra mouths to feed? So they could probably do better if we just cut them loose now. So they go in before the presence of God, and it is a, a wonderful religious ceremony. We're making a covenant, a covenant to set these people free. That looks so good. It sounds so good. Ultimately, they didn't want the responsibility while they were being attacked. What we learn in the later verses, maybe I can read it real quick. Verse 21, it shows us that Zedekiah and the leaders uh, at one point were relieved of the pressure from Babylon. It says, Babylon, which has withdrawn from you. The explanation here is that they were under siege. They let the captives go. And then Babylon turned their attention to Egypt. So then all of a sudden, hey, we're not being attacked so much anymore. Uh, so, hey, we really, need, we really need those servants back in our houses. So those people we set free, and we said they're free forever because uh, the Lord is clearly doing damage to us right now. Those folks we set free, I'm going to force you back into slavery. So you begin to see that this covenant, which was portrayed as something good and honorable and obedient to God was simply a matter of convenience. So what happens when obedience is a matter of convenience? I would tell you from this text, first off, empty religion abounds, verses 8 through 10. Empty religion abounds. Zedekiah cut a covenant. I'll give you a brief explanation here, and in the second half we'll go back to Genesis and read where that came from. The brief explanation is that when they made a covenant, when they came to an agreement, equal parties would uh, take a, uh, an animal of sorts, a, a, a sacrifice, if you will, and they would sever that animal and lay it in a po on opposing sides, and then they would pass through between those halves of the animal. And the point was, 
hey, if we break this covenant, then we are going to be like this animal. We're going to be severed in two. We're going to be destroyed. We're going to be killed. If we break our covenant, then we are as good as dead. So this covenant that they cut, they did it according to the Jewish tradition, according to what God prescribed in covenant. So this was a a big communal event, maybe even religious event. It was all very biblical, and I'm sure they felt really good to make such a public display of their obedience to God. They ratcheted up to the level of covenant, splitting this animal in two. And they probably looked upon the freed slaves and their relieved looks on their faces and said, we're doing such a good job setting these people free. Look at us. I think we see this. We see this in our lives when obedience is a matter of convenience. We portray religion that ultimately is empty. I want to give you just maybe a couple of examples as I talk about my experience. As a, as a young person growing up in Christian culture, Christian youth groups, y'all know I've spoken about it before. I have a bitter taste in my mouth from many of those experiences in the church. But my experience, which I've learned, is normal. Maybe some of you older folks, if you want to ask Somebody that's uh, roughly my age or younger, just ask them the kind of things that they have experienced in the life of the church that are similar to this. It was a normal thing for us to have high emotion, really intense events, grand gestures of commitment. Are you really devoted to Jesus? Then you're going to do this. Are you going to join the crowd in, in doing this and honoring God? We're going to have this, this, you know, ceremony of sorts. This is what I saw frequently. And I'll admit to you, when I went into ministry at first, ministering to students, I rode that same wave and I have since repented. Here's an example. Hey, kids, we're going to, we're going to hear from, from God tonight. We're going to open his word. We're going to pray together. And then what we're going to do is... We're going to write sins on a paper, and nobody else is going to know what you write down. Nobody else is going to read what you write on that paper. And hey, we got a campfire out back. We got the guitar playing. It is the perfect scene. And you just take your piece of prayer, or piece of paper after you're done praying, after you're done dealing with God and making this commitment. You just take that piece of paper out to the campfire and you just throw it in that fire. And it's going to be just your symbol to God of your commitment to him and how you're going to do what's, what needs to be done. This is what we did. I can't tell you how many times I sat in a group of students and Everybody's covered in tears, and we're doing stuff like this, and it doesn't result in any obedience to God. Maybe, a, maybe another example, and I want to give a qualifier here. You, you recall, you may recall, that I was growing up in the height of the purity movement. And I want to be clear, <clears throat> maybe too explicit, uh, Sex is for marriage. Teach that. We believe it. It is sin. 
to engage in sexual intimacy outside of the marital context. But here's the thing. In the height of the purity movement, I recall watching on TV, and I was a part of this, and I did a card and everything. I watched it on TV, and the goal, rally, trying to get everybody to commit to this purity movement, and their goal was to stack these commitment cards from the ground all the way to the top of this football stadium. So they have a, a rope, and they cut a hole in the card, and they stack them and stack them and stack them. And they're doing this on TV, and they're rallying everybody. And ultimately what happened was a heaping of guilt and shame upon so many in my generation. No gospel explanation, no exaltation of Jesus Christ as the only sufficient Savior. These moments, this is my point, these moments were conveniently created to get a response, a gimmick that missed the beauty of the gospel and God's intentions for the normal Christian life. So you could imagine Man, look at us doing this, this wonderful ceremony, honoring God, setting these people free. Wonderful ceremony, committing to purity. Look at us. This is so beautiful. Empty religion abounds when obedience is a matter of convenience. There's so much we could say there. And if you've got any questions about what I just said, I'll be glad to answer them as best I can. When obedience is a matter of convenience, empty religion abounds. But I think we also see from verses 11 through 14, God-ordained freedom vanishes. God-ordained freedom vanishes. The slaves were forced back into subjection as slaves. People whom God declared to be free, who by covenant were set free with God as the witness here. And in applying this point, I'll simply say, when we only cultivate obedience, when it's convenient, we shackle ourselves and others back to the bondage of sin. God intends freedom. And when that freedom is abused by a neglect of obedience, it is lost altogether. There is a a very difficult thing that Christians must deal with in terms of freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is what Paul says to the Galatians. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. But he says, hold up, hold up. Don't stop right there. Don't abuse what I'm saying here. Don't take this and run with it. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, how does that fit into the story? I think it's clear that when we embrace a life of sin, when we walk in the way of sin, when we obey only when it's convenient, it's clear that we are still enslaved to our sin. Yeah, let me look like I'm obeying God here. Let me worship these gods over here. Let me get a little something from these gods this week. Times of trouble, I'm going to turn to 
this and this and this. But as far as you're concerned, trust in God. That God-ordained freedom vanishes when obedience is a matter of convenience. And then thirdly, I would say from this text, verses 15 and 16, true repentance ends. True repentance ends. I think the language is, is so telling here. He says, verse 15, you recently repented and did what was right in my eyes by proclaiming liberty, each to his neighbor. You made a covenant before me in the house that is called by my name. I want to be careful of not projecting any um, emotions on God that he does not ascribe to himself. But I imagine that God looking upon the situation, knowing what would happen, is delighted at even just the glimpse of repentance from his people. Do you see that God was ready to receive them? God was ready to take them back after all of this neglecting his commands and ignoring his, his word for years and decades and generations. And then there was this, this little glimmer of repentance that only turned out to be a matter of convenience. As a kid, I learned this well. I didn't need to change my attitude or change my ways or change my heart or whatever. I just had to do some things that made it look like I had. Y'all know what that's like? And do we think that that honors God? Yeah, God, I'll give you, I'll give you my tithe. Yeah, God, I'll read my Bible. Whatever. With no change. With no sincere intent to honor him in these things. God's not interested in partial repentance, which is not repentance at all. However, here's the promise. Just as they walked in disobedience, if they had truly repented, as God has said over and over again, I will receive you. I will bless you. If you repent, you will know me in ways that you have not known me. God will gladly welcome you through that repentance. He extends opportunities one after another to Zedekiah. Zedekiah refused and there is a reason I would say as we look to the ministry of Jesus, there's, there's a reason why the introductory words of Jesus' kingdom proclaimed are repent for the kingdom is at hand. The first message, repent. The loudest message, the most recurring message, repent. Turn from your ways, trust me, is what Jesus says. But it's a troubling day when the practice of your faith and the so-called repentance is only used to get an outcome you desire when it is convenient. So when obedience is a matter of convenience, empty religion abounds, 
God-ordained freedom vanishes, and then true repentance ends. Now let's turn our attention to the second half. Verses 17 through 22. Follow along with me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim to you liberty, or to you liberty to the sore, to pestilence, and to famine, declares the Lord. I will make you a horror to the kingdoms of the earth. The men who transgressed my covenant did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me. I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials I will give into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives, into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which has withdrawn from you. Behold, I will command, declares the Lord, and will bring them back to the city. And they will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. And in this, I want to give you a better background for this practice of making or cutting a covenant. From Genesis 15. From Genesis 15, we see the account of when God made his covenant with Abraham. And here is what happens. Genesis 15 Nine. I'll back up to seven. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord, God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them He brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now, if you skip down to 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. You see, in this occasion where God instituted how covenants would be made, the, the 
the sacrifices are severed and laid against one another, but instead of the way that they prescribed it among equals, when each person would pass between the separated sacrifices, in this case, Abraham did not pass between the sacrifice, but the presence of God passed between the sacrifices. This is so important. It has implications for our understanding of the gospel, as we'll see in just a moment. I want you to know for right now, God said in his covenant with Abraham, I'm going to uphold all the details of this covenant with you. And so God puts his character, his name, his perfection, his glory, his covenant faithfulness on display. But as we look into these verses, we see God responding to their covenant faithlessness. And so when God responds to convenient obedience, we could say in these next few verses, the blessings of God become curses. Verse 17, freedom is reversed. You see, it's a bit ironic. He said, uh, you proclaimed freedom. Guess what I'm going to put freedom on? The sword, pestilence, famine. I'm going to unleash those things. They're going to be free to go throughout your land and destroy everything that you know. And so the freedom they wanted is turned to the things that oppose Israel. Freedom is reversed. I think in verses 18 and 19, we could say when God responds to convenient obedience, a covenant is kept. And I say this not in a positive way, but in the negative way. Verses 18 and 19, the people who transgressed my covenant did not keep the terms of the covenant they made before me. I'll make them like the calf they cut in two. They made the covenant. They said, hey, may I be like this animal here if I do not uphold my covenant? And they had no, or we may say very little intention of letting these people go free permanently. It was convenient. This covenant ratified before God, following the pattern that God set in his covenant with Abraham, it has consequences. And so God, being the covenant-keeping God, says, yeah, you like it when I keep my covenant when you do wrong, but what if I hold you to the covenants that you make? Do you think God would only keep covenants and let all the consequences just sort of slide by? Their actions mocked God's faithfulness. They made the covenant out of convenience, did not intend to keep it. Yet when God originally made the covenant with Abraham, God showed us his unfailing covenant faithfulness. He divides the sacrifice. He passed between the parts to show that no matter God was going to maintain the covenant that he makes with his people. Even 
when we fail, God maintains covenant with us. So then when it came time for the consequences of disobedience to be rendered, this was a terrible situation for these people. I'll close with some application. I do want to make this final point about their humiliation. Humiliation results, verses 20 to 22, excuse me, 20 to 22. They're humiliated. They're overtaken. Zedekiah is taken to Babylon. The officials taken to Babylon. This is what is prophesied. This is what happens. They'll take it, they'll burn it with fire, talking about the city, and will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. This is absolutely humiliating. For the believer in the Lord Jesus, however, for the one who truly repents of sin, the one who truly trusts Christ's work, the humiliation that we deserve has come upon Jesus. In all the ways we've obeyed out of convenience or put on a religious show or got caught up in the moment or failed in our fight against sin, he has borne our shame on the cross and Zedekiah and many others would have understood God's forgiveness and redemption had they turned to God in faith. And today, you may know God's forgiveness, God's Redemption, God's freedom by turning to the Lord Jesus in faith. I think our text today really shows us that when we as the people of God make covenants, and I'm not talking about a covenant where you severed a calf, I'm not even talking about a covenant where you signed on the dotted line. I'm talking about when you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, say, I will do this. When you say yes, then your yes better mean yes. If we are to honor God, reflect his character, as the Bible tells us, let your yes be yes. You know, there's a reason why we have what we call a membership covenant at Cedarview Baptist Church. And I know for some, it's, it's not important. Don't care about it. You read it, you forgot about it. I hope and pray that today you would revisit those things. That as God has kept covenant with you, may you show forth his character in maintaining your covenant responsibilities among the saints. That could be anything from marriage down to the handshake that you gave somebody last week. Let your yes be yes. Cultivate obedience to God. Knowing 
that in the gospel you will fail, but there is one who did not fail. Cultivate obedience to God in the freedom of his grace, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, as an opportunity for sin. Depend on the spirit for the help you need each step of the way. Convenient obedience mocks God's covenant faithfulness. He is faithful. He will do it. Let us be found faithful. As we respond, maybe there's some measure. Measure of commitment maybe you've made to somebody else. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe it's a neighbor. Uh, Maybe it's the church. Maybe it's something I don't even have in my vocabulary, and you're not honoring it. Maybe there's some repentance that needs to take place there. Maybe some of the things that you have put before God are like what I described. You got real emotional about something, and you made some promises to God. You, you sort of negotiated as if, as if God was someone to negotiate with. Maybe there's a measure of repentance that needs to happen there. Ultimately, you know, unbeliever, you can't uphold your end of the covenant. And we celebrate the fact that God today upholds it all through his son. Cling to his son, know him, be transformed into his image. These are things God said will happen if you repent and believe on Jesus. Let's pray and respond. Father, we do ask for your grace as we hear your word today in what we might say is kind of a a weird text, kind of a weird occasion. We're thankful that we can glean truth from it. We're thankful today that we can know you better because of it. We pray, Father, you would be glorified in our response today. Let your people be a people who are reliable, who keep covenant. Let your people be a people who when they say yes, it truly means yes. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, Jesus, who is our yes and amen. We pray in his name, amen.